As we get ready to study Ephesians tonight, let me ask you a quick question. How many of you have ever written a letter to someone? All right, I think we've got a lot of hands going up, just about everybody. And you know that when you wrote that letter, if you sent it in the mail, you probably started it, you, you had somebody, a recipient, somebody you were writing it to, right? And you put their name on there. And then there was a purpose to your letter of some sort. Maybe it was just to, to say what's been going on in your life and ask about theirs. But you were the sender. Then you had the recipient, the person that was going to receive it. And then you had all the content in the middle. Well, sometimes when we think of uh, something like the epistle to the Ephesians, we get kind of bogged down. Well, what does it mean that that's an epistle? What what and. What in the world is this thing, guys? And who wrote it? What's it about? We just don't understand it. And I want us to begin to think about that tonight. We're going to walk through Ephesians in the coming uh, couple of months, probably. And we'll take this kind of slowly and walk through it. But tonight is just an introduction. But here's what I want you to know. There was a church in a city called Ephesus. And we're going to come back to that in some details in a minute. But Paul had spent considerable time with them. He loved them, and he wrote a letter to them. And so as we study this tonight, we know that there was a close relationship between them. And uh, I want us to talk about that. We'll probably just get through the first two verses tonight. Now, some of you are groaning and going, oh, man, what are we in for? The reason that's going to happen is I want us to look at some background, and that background is found in Acts. Because this is not, Paul didn't just suddenly decide out of the blue to write this letter. There's a historical background to it and even a scriptural background to it. And so we're going to move around a little bit in the text. So that means that we're not going to get very far in Ephesians. But I want you to understand so that next week as we really get into Ephesians, you'll understand the bigger picture of what this beautiful letter is about. Uh, It is really one of my favorite parts of scripture. Those songs we sang tonight about grace, marvelous grace. Well, in Ephesians, we have grace lavished upon us. And it's grace upon grace is how it's written in the text. And that grace is what we're all about, isn't it? Now, tonight's a Sunday night. I realize that I'm up here. But sometimes on my Sunday nights, I like to ask questions. And it's okay for you to answer. Uh, I know that might not get picked up on the video or whatever, but that's okay. I think people at home will, will bear with us on that. Uh, so either way, uh, that's a possibility tonight, and know in the future, sometimes there might be even more of that planned. But we are in this letter. Let me go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first two verses, and then we'll, we'll come to the text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As is typical in Paul's letters, uh, it starts with three elements, the sender, the recipients, and a greeting. And these vary very little within Paul. Uh, In each of his letters, he writes something like this. And it makes sense because, again, if you write to someone or you write to a group, uh, you you want them to know who it came from. You have a purpose, and uh, certainly you want to make sure it gets to them, and so you address it to them. We see right here at the beginning that it says the author of this is Paul. It says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus by the will of God. Now, you say, well, Pastor, duh, right? Like, it's kind of obvious that it says right there, Paul wrote it. What's the big deal? 
I tend to gloss over that, right? I, I, don't, I don't always stop and go, what does it mean that Paul had a specific message to the church that was there in Ephesus? Uh, and because we don't think about it sometimes, we just forget the background, and so I want us to do that tonight. Uh, but know that this, Paul was known to the church in Ephesus. When they saw his name on this letter, they knew who he was, and very personally. Uh, he visited there, he visited Ephesus several times in his missionary journeys. Uh, if You don't have to turn there just yet, but if you were to look in Acts chapter 18, verse 19, he has a short stay in Ephesus, in Acts 19.1, there's another stay. Uh, in Acts 19.8, Paul was said to have been teaching in the synagogues for two months. After that, he continued to stay at Ephesus, but began teaching at the school of Tyrannus. In other words, in, according to Acts 19.10, Paul was in Ephesus over two years. Now, total, he was there probably three years. You can imagine, they knew him very, very well at that point. I've been here one day. So you don't know me as well yet, right? But they had been, they'd seen Paul working with him for years. They'd seen his example, all the work that he did. And so they begin to build up a close relationship together. By the way, if you, if you are a dates kind of person, want to know when this is happening, we think the first visit to Ephesus was probably around 52 A.D. The second one a year later in A.D. 53. And then in the passage we're going to read in just a moment, you're probably jumping all the way up to A.D. 57. And so you can see there's some time frame, five years or so, that is spread out within some of these visits. Uh, in fact, when Ephesians was written, Paul was probably, this is probably one of the prison letters, which means it was probably written somewhere around 60 or 62 A.D. So at that point, they could have known Paul for 10 years, even though he was only in the city for three or so. Turn with me, however, to Acts chapter 20. Look down at verse 17. Paul is here, and I want you to see this. This is getting towards the end of his uh, correspondence with them, and he knows that hard times are coming, and I want you to see how personal this is to him. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How, did I, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel, the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. As you think about this letter he wrote to the Ephesians, I want you to understand that they had had this meeting with weeping and tears and kissing his face and because they knew they'd probably never see Paul again. They knew that this was coming. The Spirit was telling them, imprisonment's coming for you. And he's telling I want you to see how personal it was. He said, I was there for three years without ceasing. I was admonishing you, warning you, teaching you, preparing you, building you up. And that's what the letter to, Ephes- to the Ephesians really continues to do. Uh, it says he... He now realizes with the spirit that, he, that bonds and afflictions awaits him. This church had gone through plots and persecution and trials together with Paul. Uh, he knows that the, he is exhorting them to faithfully shepherd the church there, recognizing that opposition was coming. He says, listen, the wolves are waiting to come in to your church. By the way, later on, uh, if you, if you want to see another place where Ephesus really comes into play in the Scripture, read 1 Timothy, because 1 Timothy, he, left, he sent Timothy there to deal with those wolves that were coming into the church. That when you read 1 Timothy, know that Timothy was sitting there in Ephesus receiving that letter as well. Uh, and so there's a lot of history, a lot of things that would happen in the Scripture there. But these were emotional bonds, real relationships. Verse 36, again, they knelt down, they prayed together, There's much weeping on the part of all the people. They were all sorrowful because they knew they would not see him again. Now, you guys had the privilege of having a pastor here that was here for a long time. And you created emotional bonds together. And those are good things, right? Because we become family in that new community like we talked about this morning. We develop those bonds together. We serve together and it changes us. But I want you to understand tonight that the the letter to the Ephesians is not a generic letter. Okay, It's not just, here is a theological treatise. You need to understand this, 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 and this. He cared about them. And his point was to build them up and just to make sure they remained strong in the faith. He said in verse 27, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He didn't back down. And he cares about them as their pastor. You church, we are a holy people tonight. A people set apart for his purposes. 
And I want us to think about that as we study this as well. But here's what I want you to do. Let's turn back into Ephesians. If you switched over to Acts, I want you to get back over here. You see, this isn't meant to be an intellectual pursuit. This, again, this isn't a class. This is us, something that we want to read it, let it build us up, and apply it to our lives and follow it. But know that, that God cares about us so much that he had Paul write this letter to them. As you're there, a um, little bit of history. Ephesus, if you don't know, it was in Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. It's there on the GNC coast. Uh, used to, it was a big port city. It was one of the leading cities of the world at the time. Uh, now, the, the, all between erosion and the silt and everything else building up, it's not quite a seaport anymore. It's a few miles from the sea. But back then, or you can still to this day see where the docks were, and uh, you can go and sit there in that theater. It's still there to this day. Uh, it's a beautiful place if you can ever visit it. But Ephesus was there. It was this really famous century. It was a leading city long before Alexander the Great came in. Uh, so it had been there for quite some time. It was on the Silk Road. That is the routes that travel all the way from the Mediterranean deep into China. And so it was a wealthy place. But you know what they were known for? Their goddess. This was the, the guardian city of the goddess Artemis. Or if you were looking at the Roman version, the goddess Diana. Some of you might have seen, uh, what's the movie, Wonder Woman. And they talk about this goddess Diana. Well, it's based off of Artemis. Artemis of the Ephesians. And if you were to read in Acts 19, we're not going to read that tonight, you'll see that one of the things that they were famous for was their silversmithing. They made lots of silver idols to uh, this goddess, Artemis. And in fact, there was a riot in Acts 19 because all the silversmiths got upset because Paul was telling them, she's not real. You need to come and worship the one true God. And they were losing money. And so it was actually the guild, the trade guilds, that got together and caused the riot. It wasn't quite as much about the religion, I don't think, as it was, hey, we're losing money. This is a bad deal. We need to get that Paul, that troublemaker guy, out of here. And so we find ourselves in this city. By the way, the temple for Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the largest building in antiquity. It was 225 feet by 425 feet, or uh, 75 yards by... Um, uh, I don't remember what that came out to. A lot, a hundred and something yards. Uh, but either way, this was a massive building. The columns were 60 feet tall, and they were six feet wide. So you can imagine a column with a diameter of six feet. This is a massive, massive structure. All right, And it, it was quite the wonder of the world. And the, the people in Ephesus, they were proud of this. And so that's, it, it was a pagan city full of idolatry. But the church was going to grow there and continue to grow there for years. You guys know that not just did Paul pastor there for a while, and then Timothy was there for a while. You know who else was there? John, the gospel writer. He was there, and he spent some time there. And according to tradition, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, spent out her last days in the city of Ephesus. It makes sense. You know why it makes sense from the Scripture? Anybody got a guess why Mary might have traveled around with John? That's right. Jesus said, hey, on the cross, he said, listen, that's, that's your mother. And he was given responsibility to take care of her. And so traditionally, uh, there's a house there they said she lived in, and I don't think she did, but 
Uh, traditionally, it does make sense that she would have spent her last days, perhaps, with John there in Ephesus. We can't prove that, but it's an interesting thing. But we do know this, the church would remain there. When you study Revelation, you have the seven churches, and one of them is what? The church at Ephesus. It was a church that was originally known for its love, and when we get into Revelation at the end, it says you've lost your first love. And Paul is insisting in this book, we want to get them, uh, we want to make sure these people are built up, they understand all of these things. Well, that's a bunch of background. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ, and I tend to think of the, the 12 apostles when I see this word, uh, the 11 disciples remaining, and then Paul, uh, who was called later, and the word originally meant uh, sent out one. You guys know that? We think of apostle as this title, but if you break down that word, it means the sent out one. And sometimes it is used of different people uh, in the text that are not one of the big A capital apostles. And so it's not always just the 12. And I actually think if you were going to have a modern translation, it would be closer to our word missionary. By the way, you know the word missionary doesn't, you know, that's a, it doesn't actually occur in the scripture either. Uh, so it's just the sent out ones. It's, it's a different sort of terminology. But either way, the, the idea here is that uh, a, an apostle was a, someone sent out. And what that means is this. It came to mean messenger or envoy. Imagine a king sending out their delegates. And so Paul is coming, and he has the authority of the king for which he speaks, which is King Jesus. But he's not there to speak his own message either, is he? That's not the kind of authority he had. He had came in the name of Christ. He came with the message of the king. So the envoy is not serving himself, but rather the king. This letter written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is true. It's authoritative because it comes from God's messenger. This letter is a part of God's message to us. We're reminded that Paul was specifically called by Christ. It says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You guys know that his story is a little bit differently. He calls himself an apostle that was untimely born. All the rest of the 12 apostles... Uh, or the 11 and then the one that was elected later. So those 12, they spent time with Jesus. They walked with Jesus, but Paul wouldn't meet him until that, that fateful day on the Damascus Road when God overtook him and said, you know what, you're going to serve me. And uh, actually, uh, when people got were questioning that, uh, he said, well, I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer for my sake. It's an interesting calling for him, but either way, he is chosen by Christ. He's an apostle now by the will of God. It was an accident. God chose Paul on the Damascus Road, appointed him as an apostle. Uh, you might recall that at the time, Saul was actively persecuting the church. He was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed for his faith. He was an apostle because he was good or he deserved it. God called him and made him a new man. That's who Paul was. It was God's will. Now, next, it gives us the recipients. Who was this written to? We've already talked about some. It says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice that he describes them in a couple of ways. Number one, they are saints who are at Ephesus. They are, uh, the word saint literally means holy ones. I think I've talked about that here before when I was visiting. They were holy. 
They were set apart for God's purposes. It doesn't mean that they were without sin. It doesn't mean that they were especially good. It's not a reference to their faithfulness or their merit on that part. And we might get confused, right? Because we, again, we think of the Roman Catholic view of saints, where only certain people are designated as saints, and they have to meet certain criteria in order for that to take place. Uh, you guys know that, it, you know, for to be a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, there had to be certain miracles performed after prayers with your name. Uh, there's things before death, during your life you have to do, things after your death that have to happen. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about. Here, uh, the saints, uh, or in their view, saints have to be especially holy, have to have done good works, perform miracles, etc. But the scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures tell us that you here at Forest Heights Baptist Church are holy. That you've been saved, called out of the world, set apart for God's purposes. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. That just as he called Paul out of the world to be an apostle, he called you to be a holy one. He called you to be set aside, designated for his purpose, to give your life to him and not to anything else. All believers are saints in him. The believers in Ephesus are holy because God made them holy. Just as in the Old Testament, God chose Israel, made them a holy people, set apart for him to, and to serve him, so also are the saints of the church of Ephesus. We're going to look back at that in a couple of weeks, but know this. Again, we are the saints at Forest Heights Baptist Church. We are a holy people set apart from the world and to God and to His service. We cannot afford to forget our identity in Christ. If we forget who we are in Him, that He has saved us, we don't have any hope of maintaining this life. We're His people, not because we deserved it, but because He made us His people. Verse 2. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody tell me out there, what's grace? Real question. What is grace? All right, we've got a few of them. A few other people mouthed it. It's something we don't deserve, right? It's God's undeserved favor and kindness and blessing poured out on us. We see it most clearly, of course, in the gospel, uh, that we have been saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. His kindness towards us, even though we certainly do not deserve it. And, but in, the truth is, in most letters of the day, back if you look at all the letters, even secular letters, they would have a greeting very similar to that with a slightly different word. Paul is certainly Christianizing this greeting and saying this is about grace. And he wants to draw their attention to this, to say, isn't the regular greeting. I am asking, I am praying for God's favor and blessing and kindness on all of you who are there living in the church or living in Ephesus and serving in the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The second part of that greeting there is peace, and this is a typical Jewish greeting. If you were a Hebrew speaker, you would come in with this, this blessing of peace for, uh, for everyone, essentially. That's how you would greet one another. But it was, it was peace, but at a holistic level. Body, soul, we wanted you to have true peace. And if you begin to think about it, we now have peace with God. We've been reconciled to Him. The, the wrath of God has been satisfied. We are 
whole. We are saved. We are redeemed. We have been made into new creatures. He's, it's a reminder. Grace, God's grace and peace to you. God's grace and peace to you at Forest Heights Baptist Church tonight. These two blessings that he speaks flow from God and from Jesus Christ. And over the next few chapters, we're going to see the Father and the Son working together for our salvation. We never just see, it's never just God the Father, God the Son. We always have the Trinity working for us and for our favor. Uh, So we're going to see that as we continue to study this. Uh, But uh, here's what I want you to do tonight, or this week. I want you to sit down at some point this week and read the letter to the Ephesians. It might take you one or two sittings, but it really doesn't take very long to read it. And as you read it, here's what I want you to notice. The first three chapters are all about this blessing. It's about the gospel, how you've been saved. Chapter 1 is kind of God's view of this is what salvation looks like from almost from his perspective. You get to chapter 2 and suddenly it's personalized. This is what salvation looked like for me. Chapter 3 kind of builds off of that. But when you get to the final three chapters, it's practical. It's the commands become, become apparent. All right, if you have this great blessing, such grace poured out for you, if you've been rescued, if you've been saved, then this is how you should live. And it always works that way in Paul's letters. He always starts with the good news, with the gospel, reminds you of it, and and really grounds you in it, and then he gives you the task. All right? Why do you guys think he might do that? I think it's like this. Uh, Have you ever had a sin you just really struggle with? There's times in your life where you just get beaten down. You kind of beat yourself down over your sin. And then maybe somebody else catches wind of it. And instead of helping, they just beat you down with it some more. And you, somebody you find, or maybe you caught somebody else in sin. And so what you do is you, you turn to the law. And you take them to the law and say, you're not supposed to do that. Now, is that true? They're not supposed to do that, right? But do you understand there's a difference between the law and the gospel? And what we're supposed to do is take them to the gospel and let the gospel free them from the weight of that sin and the burden of the sin and the guilt of the sin so that they can move on and, be, and, and enjoy the grace of God, but let that be their motivation for why they're able to put that sin behind them. And that's important. The order that we do that is important. If you just, if you find somebody, and I don't know, maybe they've got, let's say they've got an alcohol, and they're an alcoholic, they're, you catch them, they're drunk, and they're just struggling to get their life back on track. Yeah, there's going to be some tough love that has to happen. But you know what they need to know? God saved you. God called you. He loves you. There's grace for you. There's forgiveness. Come. And you begin to encourage them and help them, and you don't just beat them over the head with it, right? Like, there's a, a balance to this. The gospel is always there, and we find this in all of Paul's letters. Brothers and sisters, you and I were never saved because we deserved it. We were saved by grace, that same marvelous grace we sang about earlier in the service. Uh, and, but sometimes we want to hammer people with the law even though we wouldn't want them to do it to us. Right? And we have to be careful with that. 
The law does indeed point out our sins, but it should drive us back into the gospel and back into grace. You can never run away from God. No matter how deep and far you get, if you turn around, He is waiting on you. He's there. He loves us that much. That's His grace. And so as you read the letter to the Ephesians, I want you to see that. Look at those first couple of chapters. Really the first three. And then look at how the rest of the book builds off of that. And gives us directions on how we should live, how we should act as a church, how we should function. Then he gives them direction even on marriage, on being a father, on being a ch- uh, child. And he gives all those sort of um, instructions after this, saying this, listen, God saved you. He lavished his grace on you. He just poured out grace upon grace to you. Let that be your motivation. So read this, read this letter this week. Take notes. Think about it. Let it kind of sink in. If it's been a while from you since you read it, I think you will get a great blessing out of it. I want to read one thing more scripture tonight, and then uh, we're going to uh, have our next song of invitation. But here's here's what I want to do. I, I was thinking about this greeting just now, and he says, "Grace and peace to you." So I want us to read Psalm 67. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 67. Let this be our prayer tonight. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for You will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. I I love that psalm. And it is about God indeed blessing us. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you that you are a gracious God. And I thank you that you have blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You hold nothing back. And Father, even as you pour out your blessings on us, we know that you've given us grace, that you love us, not because we deserved it, but because of your own choice, because uh, of your own love. And Father, you have purified us and called us holy. Help us to live as holy people tonight. Father, as we uh, go into a time of invitation, Father, work in our hearts. Help us to see how much you have blessed us. Help us to understand the scripture tonight. Help us to read this this week and apply it to our lives. Help us not be those that read it, but only, but don't do it. Help us to be those that don't just hear the word, but those that follow through and obey you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.